device with your Bible. Let's hold them up. If you need a Bible, any of you get here without a Bible, raise your hand and Sam will put these down for a minute. Any of you need a Bible? Raise your hand. Sam's going to get you one. All right, here we go. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. Powerful word of God. Can change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. I turned 58 years old May the 4th. As of last Thursday, I lost 59 pounds. buy new britches. <laughs> my wife tells me. I like my baggy britches. She tells me I have to buy some new ones. And I want to thank all of you on Wednesday night dinners who come over after I've eaten one helping and take my plate and said, you're done now, aren't you? And you take my plate. Thank you for doing that. <clears throat> was really hard because we went to a place called Babes yesterday and my son Jeff said, why didn't you tell me I wouldn't have eaten for two days? Because it's that kind of place. If you've never eaten at Babes, I think Verlin, Don, you guys ate at Babes, didn't you? When you guys were down there with Tyler. Quite a place, isn't it? Uh, chicken fried steak covers your plate. <laughs> so it's amazing. If you ever get a chance, you're in Carrollton, downtown Carrollton, Babes is what it's called. And uh, I think you guys went to Frisco, the one, the original in Frisco. Yeah, awesome. Well, glad you're here. Second week of our series, I Believe in You. And uh, those Bibles you held up earlier, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to spend most of our time there. So if you want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, kind of hold that in readiness. How many of you are parents today? Let me see those hands. How many of you are hope to be parents someday? Good. That's good. One teenager. <laughs> okay. That's, that's good. How many of you have got kids that you would just soon trade with someone else? All right. Hands go up. I want to ask you a tough question as we think about kids and think about how you'd answer the question, how would you define success in raising the next generation? Fast forward 5, 10, 15, 20 years. In your mind, how would you define success in raising the next generation? If you're taking notes on the outline, you'll see I've put clearly what the culture says success is. The culture says success is raising well-rounded well-educated, happy kids. Well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. Culture tells us that. How many of you, we, you would say basically, yeah, I think that's what the culture would tell us. That's what we do about raising kids. Good. They look successful if you're doing that. But if you'll take a step back from that, and let's think about that. Well-rounded. I don't know about you, but most bosses don't look for someone who's, uh, to, to work for them who's well-rounded enough in a lot of things. They want somebody who can do proficiently things they need done as a boss. They're not looking for well-rounded. 
here, there, 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 everywhere. How about well-educated? I'm all, I'm all about education. Nothing wrong with education. In fact, I just was in Dallas seeing my daughter-in-law graduate from college. And uh, it was awesome to see her do that. Uh, cum laude, that's 3.7, I think, GPA over a four-year period. That's not too bad, not too shabby. She might be able to help Mark in his quest for excellence. But though as honorable and faithful and full of integrity that education is, I'm not jazzed up about an A in Algebra 2 as, as I am about those other things I mentioned. Happy? Yeah, many people in our country today bow down to the altar of happiness. <clears throat> and when I, pers uh, when I personally would rather see a generation that are joyful, full of the joy of the Lord. We were laughing this morning at Sunday school. We had a good time. We do. We have a great time. We study the Word of God, and then we laugh. And laughing is great. I'm usually the tail end of some of those laughs, but that's okay. Because, like my wife said, I'm an easy target. I do, I do really well. But happiness is based on happening. And it doesn't always happen to be joyful sometimes. But everybody's looking for that, aren't they? If we looked at, the, at this definition, we contrast it with the question that Jesus asked, all of a sudden we get some clarity. When culture says raise well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids, basically they can get the good education, the good job, so they can have the nice home and maybe have a little bit better life than we have had as parents. Jesus asked the question in Matthew 16, 26. We read it earlier. What good would it be for a man if he gains the whole world, well-rounded, educated, and happy, and yet forfeits his soul? I would argue all day long that success in, in raising the next generation is far more than the culture defines as success. One of the most important things, the most important thing that we can do as parents is impart spiritual life to the next generation. Because if they have more than we had, we don't have a relationship, but, but they don't have that relationship with Christ that we have, what good is it? You can have all the houses you want. In driving across Dallas, there are a lot of houses. There's some big houses in Dallas. They're huge. Maybe two, three people live in those huge houses. If it's got more than one air conditioner compressor attached to the house, it's more house than I can handle. And some of them have four and five. Swimming pools in every yard, the cement pond out back. If you missed last week, I, I, encourage, I encourage you to go check it out online at our website, rlccgeeks.com or org. If you're under the age of 30 or so, I really want you to hear last week's message because I spoke directly about the emerging generation. Next week, I'm going to talk to the whole church about what it means to invest in someone's life. Let them invest in you, but you begin to invest in others. In fact, this week I had someone tell me that they're going to take that challenge and begin to do that. I think that's awesome. And Paul's going to be our central figure. Paul and Timothy will be our central figure, so just kind of giving you a little heads up for next week. But today, though, I, 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 I want to talk to our generation, my generation. I want to talk to us. I'm going to say some things into our lives, that, and I want to call us to impart spiritual life into this next generation because it's so important. There's one verse to me in all of Scripture that really captures all of this. It's from David in the Old Testament. It's in Psalm 71. There in your outline. 
He prays, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God. Let me live longer. Now, why is he praying that? Let me live till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. I was watching the kids graduate. My son Mark is 25. When Mark was in college, <clears throat> he, was the, he, was, he was heading above everybody. They would ask him to lead the singing for everything. They would ask him to be in front of the adults that came for special events to lead the worship and all of that. And guess what? He's been out of school two years. Hardly even know who he is. I, th I looked at him. I could see he was a little disappointed in that. And I put my arm around him. I said, you know what? It's about investing in one person and making a difference in that one person. And you married her. So make a difference in her. Make a difference in her. And he's getting a little discouraged at the church. And uh, you know, ministry happens. And it gets discouraging. So I got a chance to put my arm around him and just kind of reminisce with him a little bit and just tell him that everything's going to be okay. Because you're not serving the church, you're serving Jesus. As long as you're serving Jesus, Mark, the rest of it kind of fall into place. And, and if it doesn't, it's okay too. If all of a sudden the church says, we no longer need you, God's going to put you somewhere where you will be needed. So I said, take a deep breath and everything's going to be all right. And I said, how's your graduate studies going? And that's when his head fell. Because he's had to pour so much into his youth ministry that his studies, his, his extra studies have fallen. I said, man, it's all about balance. I said, can you set a day aside? He said, Dad, I'm trying. I said, that's all that God asks us to do is try it. He'll make up the difference. So I said, you'll see. Keep at it. You'll see. Keep at it. And so David cries out, Lord, I want to live longer so I can, so I can touch this next generation. Boy, and I'm finding myself wanting to do that too. Now that I've been in, in a mentoring program with a, with a young preacher, he's got me so fired up about sharing Christ with people. It's, it's driving me nuts. Poor Chrissy, I'm giving everything to her. She's going, okay, okay. She shuts the door, locks it. Changed the lock so I can't get in. I'm standing at the door. Let me in, let me in. But Dave said, give me a little longer so I can declare to this next generation, those who are coming behind me, your power, your goodness, your might, your glory, your splendor. It's almost as if he, if he was saying, I've seen it, I've tasted your goodness, and those who are coming behind me, they don't quite get it. So God, give me a little bit longer. Give me a little, one more shot. I've got I to do one more thing with them. And the greatest calling that we can have is to impart spiritual life to the next generation. We're not called to raise well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. On the contrary, if it's there, there in your notes, here we go. We are called to unleash single-minded, Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers. We are called to unleash single-minded, Christ-centered, biblically-anchored world changers into the world for the glory of God. We're not called to protect and keep them under our safe arm, but to unleash our not well-rounded but single-minded, a generation that knows who they are and why they were created. <clears throat> That's our job. But our tendency is to huddle up and to put a wing around them and, hug, and hold them and say, oh, oh no, no, nothing bad's going to ever happen. Really? You can't stop it. You can't stop it. That little boy was standing at the Boston Marathon having the time of his life when they set that backpack right next to him. 
eight years old. And Shinarab's mother said, he's an angel. Angel of death. He might have been a good kid, except he was indoctrinated to do what he did. So why don't we indoctrinate our kids to do the love of God, to do the things that God has called us to? Huh? Hey, it works both ways, amen? That's how you take over. You start having a bunch of Christian kids. You raise a bunch of Christian kids, pretty soon we run the show. Amen. But we've got to find some that really mean it, don't we? Like I said last week, this, this, young, this, this next generation are the most cause-driven, mission-minded generation around. They, they just exist knowing that they're here to do something more than to accumulate things that will burn up one day. They don't need stuff. What do you need stuff for? just gets in the way. I got to tell you this, though. I'm sitting there yesterday at, the, at a reception for my daughter-in-law or parents put on, and my five-year-old granddaughter sitting there playing her dad's cell phone, and she looks up at me, and she goes, hey, this place got a Wi-Fi. <laughs> I said, well, I guess not. She would have probably found it and locked on. I don't know. Five years old. See, we've got to be savvy here. We've got to be smart to get the word to them, don't we? We've got to be it. We've got to do it. Single-minded, Christ-centered, not centered on what other people think or what culture says is important or what the media pollutes our minds with, but centered around the risen Lord Jesus Christ, biblically anchored, knowing who they are by the Word of God, not swaying to and fro by every cultural message, because I'm here to tell you, your nine-year-old will be tempted by things that you didn't even see until you were 19. If you are not grounded in the Word of God, they will be overtaken by these poisonous messages that are out here in the world. Why are they single-minded, Christ-centered, biblically anchored? They will be a generation, when they're that way, they'll be a generation of world changers. And we need world changers. I'm going to die one of these days. I will. You will. Get ready. Someday you're going to die. How many of you believe that? How many of you are ready? <laughs> Good. Seems like every time I listen to the news, I'm more ready. But David says, oh God, let me live long enough that I may impart my, your goodness and your knowledge and understanding of who you are in the next generation. Those who come behind me, I'm so grateful for a granddaughter who has parents that pour the word of God into her life. I was listening in the car yesterday. We were riding while her mother read to her. I love it. I love it. Kathy tells me that Kelsey's one of the best memorizers in the back. That's what I want. Pretty soon when I'm not going to be here, I'm going to have Kelsey stand up to preach because we got Wi-Fi here. <laughs> She's ready to go. <laughs> Boy, it's a big challenge, isn't it? Now, some of you may be here today and you go, hey, man, look, I just came in this Mother's Day. I just came in here to kind of have a decent message, a little fun thing going in. Hey, man, you're hammering here. Well, you know, I'm just trying to keep my kids off the fat food at McDonald's. Come on. I, mean, I know it's a big challenge, but especially when every force in the world is working against you, it's a huge challenge. It's a huge undertaking. But here's what I want you to understand. I absolutely and completely believe that you are called to do this and that you can do this. I believe in you. I know you can do it. 
But more than me believing in you, what I want you to understand is that everything in His power and truth, God believes in you. God believes in you. You know why? He sent Jesus to die on the cross. Because He believed in you. He gave you eternal life. Why? Because He believes in you. Why does He lift you up every day? Because He believes in you. Why does He let the sun shine, the rain come, and all the seasons happen? Because He believes in you. Why hadn't He destroyed the world with water since the flood, the great flood? Because He said He wouldn't. He's a man of His word. <laughs> Don't see that much today, huh? We've got to let the next generation see it. So going from Deuteronomy 6, I want to unpack some things that will help us. Picks up at verse 4. Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames for your, uh, of your houses and your gates. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Let me give you three things that jump out at me from these verses. Number one, we must enlist supporting voices. We must enlist supporting voices. If you want to impact the next generation, you have to remember those of you that are parents, your voice is always the most important voice. Your voice is the most important voice. They might not act like it, but it is. Very important voice. But it cannot be only your voice. You will always have the most important role in speaking to your children, but you, it cannot be the only one saying what you're saying. In fact, here's how Moses starts it. He says, hear, O Israel. He's saying everybody and to everybody. In other words, as a nation, we're going to work on this. It isn't just parent to child, but it is nation to the next generation. It is church to the next generation. We can't wait for them to become the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today, and we've got to treat them as such. We've got to make the technology changes. We've got to make the Word of God so powerful that they want to hear it. If my five-year-old wants a Wi-Fi connection, I need to get it to her so I can get the Word of God to her in a creative way. We've got to do it, folks. Or, or, we don't. Or we don't. But I want to reach the generation. I want to reach them, don't you? I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to see, I want to see these guys standing on stage and preaching and singing. I want to see Jace Parmenter get up and lead a devotion around communion. I don't know when he's going to do it, but I believe he's going to do it. I Big T could do it right now. And when he stands up, you're going to listen. Because if you don't listen, he's going to come out and sit right next to you until you listen. It's just something about being big. You just draw it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right? That's right. I could see Christian doing that. I could see Christian getting up and sharing a communion devotion. I could see Christian getting up and leading a prayer. I've got Taylor praying on Wednesday night. Tegan doesn't want to, but she did anyway. Hey. Even little Caleb Russell prayed for dinner on Wednesday night a few weeks ago. I had to help him, but he didn't matter. He got it out. Isn't that awesome? That's what we want. That's what we're after. Wouldn't it be great? Three Sundays in a row, preacher ain't got nothing to say. These kids are up here talking. Oh, glory to God. We've got to put it in their hands. We've got to put it in their life. 
You see, in the Old Testament times, the family unit was different than what we see today. I mean, it included parents, adult siblings, adult siblings, children and grandchildren, their own children, their own grandchildren. If they worked, those people were considered part of the family. It, was, it wasn't uncommon to have a family unit that would include up to around 80, to 80 or so people. Can you imagine Sunday lunch for 80 people? I mean, that's the vocal household now. <laughs> Seems like sometimes, I'm sure. It's like a tribe, a clan. God's saying, hey, to the whole tribe, to the whole clan, the whole nation, that, it's your calling. Speak into the lives of the next generation. You see it all through the Bible. In fact, if we, we'll talk more about that relationship next week, Paul and Timothy, it's going to be great. And just, just a snippet, he did have a mom and a grandmother that spoke into his life, remember? Lois and Eunice. Isn't it funny how in the Old Testament they still are in the Bible, they still had old-sounding old names, Eunice and, and Lois? I mean, those are, I mean, why wasn't it Sally and Betty? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that struck funny, I guess, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But they needed, they needed a male voice. They needed Paul to speak into Timothy's life, and he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Be an example of all, to all believers. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So we as a church should be intentional about in, inviting supporting voices into the lives of our children. And I want to encourage you to pray about who God would want you to begin to pour your life into and who you would let pour into your life. You see, you're not so old and smart that you don't need some education yourself. You're not so with it that you don't, have to, that you don't need some help yourself. You're not so full of it that you've got all the answers. Now, some of you may think you are. Hmm, fooling yourself. God's tried to talk to you for years, and He can't even get through. So, you know, we've not all arrived yet. We've not all arrived yet. But let me, tr let me tell you, when a kid hits 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you better have somebody outside your family affirming what you're teaching inside the family to help you. You're going to need them. That's why Chrissy's responsibility and job is so critical, so crucial. What she does into the lives of these kids. Coaches what they're doing in the lives of the kids. And all of us, hero Israel, he says, all of us need to hear that we're the voices and the supporting voices. Number two, enlist supporting voices. Number two, we must learn to raise the expectations. Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with part of your heart and with some of your soul and with a little bit of your strength. Wait a minute. Did I mess that up? Oh. Love the Lord your God with how much? Hmm. And how much of your soul? And with how much of your strength? Never lowered standards. Jesus never lowered standards for anybody. He didn't say, hey, if you want to follow me, well, just kind of tie up some loose ends. You know, Shoot me an email, text, call, 1-800-I'M-ALMOST-READY. <laughs> and then what Jesus told him, he said, nope, drop it and come on. If you want to come, come. He did not lower his expectations of anybody. But boy, we do in the church. We do in our homes. You go back to the Old Testament before a kid was 12, he or she could memorize and would memorize the first five books of the Bible. We have trouble with kids being able to tell us what the names of the books are, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> See, they had high expectations. Time Mag Magazine wrote an article and called them kidults. K-I-D-U-L-T-S. They aren't kids, they're not adults, they're kidults. They're a generation that's very gifted but doesn't have any clear sense of purpose or direction. They know there is something more, but they just can't quite figure out what it is. Well, it used to be in Bible times <clears throat> that children... Uh, by the time they were 12, they were taking over the dad's business. After they hit puberty, they could get married. Man, we'd never let somebody do that today. Never. Ever. Because they're way too immature. Because, see, we've dumbed that thing way down. We don't expect anything of them. When, they're when they turn a teenager until they're not a teenager anymore, we don't expect anything out of them because they're dumb, stupid, and that's for everything. <laughs> and what do we do? Dumb and stupid and give it to them. Yeah, we do. Awesome. And then they whine and moan. Oh, man, everybody's got it but me. I don't have anything. I don't know nothing. I don't it. Bunch of windy and window whiners running loose, aren't they? 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. Wouldn't but when I became a teenager, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't know what this is. When I became a Man, I put childish things behind me. He didn't say when I became a teenager. I looked, I looked like an adult, but acted like a child. And yet he, he was, we have given a generation permission to look like adults, but act like children. Raise the expectations, parents. Raise it. Oh, they won't come. They'll argue with me. So, you're the parent. Well, they'll run away. You think you held them in the first place? They probably will. And you'll be just like Hosea. You'll go looking for them. You'll go looking for them. Gosh, there's so much more that we could say. But here's something that's interesting. I don't want any of you to feel horrible about this, but it's a common thing that's happening in our culture. 70% of the kids who graduate from college come back home. They're called boomerang kids. It's one of the biggest heartbreaks for parents. Because the parents didn't get that chance. We didn't get that chance, did we? I mean, at 18, I left. I was going to college. I didn't... <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't care. I just went. I went out and found a job. I was working three jobs. I left college owing nothing. I worked three jobs. And every chance I got to go preach or sing somewhere, I drove... I remember driving to a little country church out in Paris, near Paris, Texas. I didn't even know where Paris, Texas was. But I took off. I got there just in time to use the bathroom before I had to preach. And I, got, I said, hey, where's the bathroom? The boy says, right out there. I said, out there where? <laughs> I'm a city boy. They got this little building sitting out there with a little half moon cut into the door. He said, there it is. I said, it's kind of hot. He goes, don't stay in there long. <laughs> <laughs> Enlist supporting voices. Raise the expectations. Number three, keep it real. Look what Moses says, verses 7, 8, 9. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Dinner time. What, you know, times when you're together. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you're driving to band practice, soccer practice, driving to school. Talk about the things of God. When you lie down, that's bedtime. That's when you can get some real good stuff going. I liked when the, in the video where the mom looked over at him and she winked at him because he was staring at her. You know, how, you know how they are. When you get up, 
Well, that morning time is a great time. Share some scriptures, share some encouragement around the, around the breakfast table. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God is not part of your life if He is not in your life. You know, parents, we want our kids to hang around better kids. We may say stuff like this, hey, I don't want to shove it down my kid's throat. They're going to reject it. The only thing they reject is the fact that we are full of hypocrisy. We tell them to do something, but we don't do it. You want your kid to be in the Word of God? Let them see you in the Word of God. You want your kid to be a kid of prayer? Let them see you on your face on the carpet in the living room and praying, calling out to God. You want, to, you want church attendance to be important? Don't bring them up here and drop them off the door. Get your little carcass in here and sit next to them and show them that it's important. Oh, no, no, I've got the thunder playing down OKC. i got to get down to thunder up, thunder up, thunder up, thunder up. They can't beat themselves out of a wet paper bag. Why waste your time? Watch it on TV. you got a better seat anyway. Bunch of drunk people pouring beer all over you. Thunder up. Here we go. Give me a break. What if Jesus were playing today? Be empty. Stadium would be empty. Because if it's not real, they smell it. This generation smells. That's why they don't come to church. That's why they don't want to come to church. Because they say, we, we say we're authentic. Oh, they sniff us out real fast. Are you who you say you are? If God's not a part of your daily life, how can you expect this generation to follow you? If you want the house and the family of God to be a priority, then you let these kids see you sacrifice something for time with God. Oh, man, it's a, Oh, good night, man. I'm so tired. Oh, I think I'm just going to skip church today. Man. I, just, oh, 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 oh. I say this tongue-in-cheek, but you know it's something to think about. What if you get to Judgment Day and God says, Why should I let you into heaven? And you turn to his right side because that's where Jesus is already. And all of a sudden there's a sign that says, Man, I was tired at this moment. I couldn't get there. You know what? That'll never happen. Because he died for you. Loves you enough. He'll be there for every moment, every, every, in every way. He'll be there for you. What about you for Him? What about you for Him? We're not called to raise a generation of well-rounded, well-educated, happy kids. If you settle for that, you're settling, you're settling and, and putting this next generation at the altar of materialism. Don't insult them that way. Believe in them. Enlist supporting voices. Raise the expectations. Keep it real. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit will empower us to do what you've called us to do. As I'm praying today, God, I'm praying that you would show these folks that it's not that difficult, but it does take, it does take intentionality. But they could do it. God, first and foremost, I pray that they would fall more in love with you. God, that they would bring supporting voices into their lives. Help them come alongside and Say the things that matter to their children and grandchildren. God, I pray that you would empower them to lift the expectations and to say to this next generation, we believe in you. We believe in you today. We see spiritual greatness in you. And God, I pray that we would be like David and we would just ask to lengthen our lives so that we could impart your power to that next generation. God, there may be somebody here today that really needs to have that power imparted. Would they respond? In Jesus we pray.
Amen.